Thanks for listening to the Pop Culture Cosmos and the PCC Multiverse. Check out more great podcasts today on one of these awesome affiliate networks. You're listening to a Weeby Geeks Network podcast. You're listening to the ESO Network, your station for all things geek. The Tangibound Network. Check it out. Tangiboundnetwork.com. Listen to this show, the latest episode, every time. A proud member of the Gunna Geek Network. The opinions expressed are those of each individual. Check out all the other geeky podcasts over at GunnaGeekNetwork.com and get ready because geekiness begins in 3, 2, 1. On this week's episode, does Pacific Rim Uprising do well enough to continue the series? Has the Far Cry iterations played itself out? And is it time again to get back into sports cards? All this and more as we reach our next stop, the Pop Culture Cosmos. Welcome to the Pop Culture Cosmos. And we're back with another episode of the Pop Culture Cosmos. My name is Gerald from Pop Culture Cosmos and Game Source. We want to thank you so much for tuning in to us and, and hanging out with us here for a little bit. Well, it wouldn't be a Pop Culture Cosmos without my good friend. He is the man, the myth, the legend behind Humanica Media. You got to check out all the great things going on today at humanicamedia.com. Also, as well, their YouTube and Apple Podcasts, and also their Podbean channels as well. It's Josh Peterson. What's going on, my friend? Hey, hey, hey. Just uh, working on some Pop Culture Cosmos stuff. Top secret. It's Pop Secret, and uh, you'll know about it soon, but uh, it involves a certain website that we've been working on, so stay tuned. But for now, we've got a lot of great stuff going on our regular site, popculturecosmos.wordpress.com. Rob McCallum standing by in the Cosmic Crossfire. He's going to be talking with me about the Chinese box office, but also as well, him and I are going to have a discussion on the movie theater experience and what is fair and maybe eh, what's not so fair as far as what people should be expecting the next time they head into their local theater. Plus also as well, we've got Vince Atulo from That Sports Card Show. He is going to be stopping by, talking to me as well later in the program about all the good things about sports card trading and if it is a great time to get back into sports cards. But Josh, this weekend at the box office here domestically and worldwide, there was an uprising because Pacific Rim Uprising stormed the box office. It took first place here domestically and also around the world with $150 million worldwide, almost $30 million here in the U.S. Not quite exactly what the first one did, but worldwide may make up for the fact that if it doesn't perform quite as well here as it does you know, as far as worldwide is concerned. So I ask you, Josh, with that being said... It looks like I said about 150, which is about what the production budget was. And when all comes down to it, it probably will have to make around 400 million worldwide to break even and actually get into the black. So I ask you, Josh, do you think this is a good sign for the series if it heads into another, or do you think they're just going to cut their losses and maybe just 
say that I know that the money's great as far as for, worldwide, but unfortunately, the domestic returns are reason enough to say, hey, maybe we should shy away from a third Pacific Rim film. You know, we kind of had this conversation a while back when we were talking about the uh, World of Warcraft film. Do a lot of like these science fiction films, are they even really made for domestic box office numbers anymore? I th- if It seems like they if they know they can do well in a foreign market that they're going, that it's still, you know, it's worth the money for them. Like world of Warcraft made for a Chinese audience. And I know like Godzilla, you know, it did okay here, but like it got a lot of numbers in the uh, domestic box office. So it's, I, I don't, I think when it comes to movies like that, especially like the big monster movies, monster robot movies, like those do appeal to foreign viewers. And now that there's more, um, you know, more movies opening up and, you know, we have the, I don't know if it's like contracts with movie theaters or whatever over there, but there's more opportunity than just domestic because we, I mean, you know, I mean this in the best way possible, but Americans, like we have become, especially over the past five years, we've become really bad film snobs. So I, it, it makes sense that they would be aiming more to profit in a domestic market rather than not domestic, but in a foreign market rather than a domestic market. Well, I will say this black Panther here, in the United States, again, had a great weekend, placing number two, not getting number one for the first time ever. But it has garnered over $600 million here domestically, which is the highest total for any movie in any one country this year. But the number two and three movies are actually Chinese-based. And those movies, i tell you what, those movies dictate, and those movies actually tell me that there are audiences out there that want to go see movies. Yes, obviously they would, they prefer something of that closely relate to than maybe, uh, domestic movies here that were made in the U.S. or, or even Europe or, you know, overseas or whatnot. But the Chinese marketplace does embrace certain films, the Transformer series. Obviously, like you said, the Warcraft movie, the first Pacific Rim film, all did well in the Chinese marketplace. So there is room for a lot of great numbers in the Chinese box office. Plus, also worldwide, the Pacific Rim uprising in South America, in Europe, in Australia, that movie seems to resonate better over there sometimes than actually movies that that might do well here domestically. You and I have both seen it in the past with Marvel films, Star Wars films, where it doesn't really resonate in China 100%. It is the number two market worldwide. And, you know, the, the common perception is now we've actually discussed this before, where we think that the Chinese marketplace will eventually be the number one marketplace in the world before too long. Yeah, yeah, because they're, they're you know, the, their audiences go to be entertained. Like they don't have they don't have viewers going in with agendas or anything like that. And like the, you know, it's just the, the critic culture here is ruining box office numbers. It's ruining whatever potential a film has to make money here. It's our critic culture is ruining that. Whereas, you know, you go to like a foreign movie theaters, they're more open to movies over there. They like watching them. They like seeing them like China's getting star Wars for the, you know, they just got star Wars for the first time, you know, a few years ago, I want to say. And they, they go and they watch these movies and they they're not like they don't have critics they don't have rotten tomatoes telling them to buy or or not to buy or to go and, or not to go see something we have access more access to those 
critical outlets that can say kill or raise a movie, but they certainly do it can do a lot of damage as far as it's concerned or actually help it a lot as well. I don't know, man. Like I, I just, it, it makes sense that a movie like that would profit better overseas because we, you know, we blade runner was a, a fantastic science fiction movie, but unfortunately it didn't do that well. And we, now, as we go on, unless it has like Sandra Bullock or George Clooney in it, we're seeing less and less science fiction films profit over here. That's correct. You know, if it doesn't have the Star Wars label attached to it, you never know what you're going to get with that. Obviously, we've seen films over the past year, Valerian, that didn't do so well here domestically. And there's been quite a few others that didn't do as well either. Um, passengers. I mean, that did make $400 million worldwide, but just barely eked over $100 million here. The world is evolving and changing as far as their tastes in movies and, and the fact that they want to go see movies. And with more and more theaters opening up worldwide, it's, it's making more and more sense that movies cater to not just a domestic, but a worldwide audience. Rob and I are going to discuss a little bit more about that later in the program. So I ask you this. I'll I'll leave off the discussion with Pacific Rim Uprising with this. Do you think that Pacific Rim Uprising is going to perform well enough at the box office to justify a third movie in the Pacific Rim series and create a trilogy? If they profit off of it enough and there's enough positive feedback, not from critics, but from fans, yeah, they're going to make another one. They'll keep making them. I, I would. It would be cool to see them. I don't know how they would do it, but tie into Universal's, you know, Legendary's big giant monster Kong Godzilla universe. It'd be cool to see that tie in happen. I don't know how they would do it. It's kind of different tones for the films, but if it eventually got to that point, that would be cool. But yeah, no. I mean, as long as people are going to see it, I my my nephew went and saw it and he loved it. And I guess like it, little kids are digging it. So you know, and that's cool. We need a revitalization of sci fi flicks here. So. Hey, if they can help make that happen, more power to them. It's just hard because it wasn't like the Transformer series, which would make $700, $800, billion, you know, or, or the Star Wars series. It wasn't a clear cut and dry profit maker on the first one. And this one looks to be very similar in its performance. So it's going to be some nervous time at Legendary and also as well Universal if they want to go ahead and, and say yes to in green light a third one. So we'll have to wait and see. In fact, for a time, you and I were talking about the fact that we didn't think another Pacific Rim would come around. And also, as long as you have a filmmaker with the reputation of Guillermo del Toro making something like that, like if he were to come back for the third one, they, they would do it regardless. Like it's just, um, especially after the momentum he's built through Shape of Water. It, I, it depends on, Who's attached to the project? And, you know, I I think a trilogy could work if they were to go back and explore what happened to what's his name from Sons of Anarchy. Sorry. Charlie Um, Hunnam. Charlie Hunnam. If they want to go back. Your favorite actor from. Yeah. I don't know why I can never remember his name. Yeah. If they go back and explore his arc and they had Guillermo del Toro back, they would greenlight a third movie in a second. I guarantee you. So, you know, I, I'd like to see more movies like this. I don't know if I'll personally go watch them, but I think it helps rebuild a genre of film that we have been seriously lacking. Well, let's hope so indeed, because, yeah, it, it's not the greatest films in the world, but the Pacific Rim series does entertain. It's pulpy entertainment, popcorn flick and all. I plan to see it at some point. I know Josh does as well, so 
let's hope for good things and and let's hope that Pacific Rim Uprising does well enough to necessitate a third movie and a trilogy for the Pacific Rim series. What are your thoughts on Pacific Rim Uprising? Did you like it? Did you go and see it first weekend at the box office? Or is it something that you're probably willing to avoid or catch on video that doesn't really draw you in right away? Share us your thoughts, popculturecosmos at yahoo.com. Also as well, popculturecosmos, humanity media, and game source on Facebook and Twitter as well. We've got a great show coming up for you. We've got, again, Rob McCallum, Vince Atulo. Both of those guys are coming up in the broadcast today. Plus, Josh and I are going to be talking a lot about Far Cry 5 that's coming out this week. And also as well, Guardians of the Galaxy and its impact within the Marvel Cinematic Universe. That's coming also later in the program as well. But first, it's a good friend of ours. It's Elijah Harrison. His alter ego is Asma Z, and this is Shadows of Chernobyl. And this is the Pop Culture Cosmos.
You're listening to the Pop Culture Cosmos. Hey everyone, it's Rob McCallum and I'm back with a new series that centers on the world of crowdfunding. I call it Backed or Busted. It's real simple. Every week I take a Shark Tank-like look at live campaigns on Kickstarter and Indiegogo and determine if they should be backed or if they're busted. If they should be backed, then I invest in the project, plunk down real money, and become a backer. If the project doesn't cut it, then it gets no love from me and I label it busted for the entire world to see. In addition, you'll discover amazing new projects, inventive products, creative endeavors, and you'll see what works and what doesn't work in the multi-billion dollar crowdfunding industry that makes turning your dream project into a reality more than possible. So check out Backed or Busted episodes at facebook.com slash backed or busted crowdfunding. And if you want me to help your campaign become truly awesome, send me a message. That's Backed or Busted at facebook.com slash backed or busted crowdfunding. And we're back with the program. It is Gerald Glassford from the Pop Culture Cosmos. And yes, it is time once again for another magical installment of The Cosmic Crossfire. And who better to do a Cosmic Crossfire with me than my good friend. He is the man, the myth, the legend behind Rob McCallum Films. You got to check out all of his great stuff going on today at robmccallumfilms.com. It is Rob McCallum. What's going on, my friend? Uh, life is good. What can I say? The last thing I want to do for self-promotion is talk about my wonderful fiance, Tanya Candler, who's got a blog out there for anybody that's interested in lifestyle subjects about music, society and culture, parenting and food. And her blog is 21stCenturyRockerMom.blogspot.ca. If you type in 21stCenturyRockerMom, Tanya Candler, you'll find it out there. She's got a few posts up already, one on social veganism, mom-splaining, and what it was like to be a teenage rock star and now to be a mom and what that transition's like. So if you really want an interesting perspective on somebody that's been basically around the world because of music and is, you know, living domestic bliss now check out 21st century rocker and i hope to have her on the show at some point whether it's with you or whether i just get a chance to sit down and chat with uh, her about her blog and what she hopes to do with it and where she hopes to take it but uh it's definitely uh, really entertaining of course i get to kind of read these things ahead of time and they always surprise me because i have no idea what she's going to say but there's always one term in there or something that she gravitates to that makes me smile so like social veganism or mom-splaining these are things that i'm like i gotta know more about this so i clicked and it, I don't know. It's just they're good reads, especially if you're a mom or a parent or you just want to see what it's like as someone who's been a rock star and is now a mom and what that transition's been like. So check it out, 21stCenturyRockerMom.blogspot.ca. I'm just glad to hear about all this domestic bliss that you're talking about. There you friend. go, domestic bliss. That's that's what it is. That's, that's what, what it is. That's what it is indeed. But I uh, was just so glad to hear that uh, she's doing well and she's actually going ahead and sharing her thoughts and definitely something to look out for indeed. All the great things are going on. I'm just so happy for you, my friend, that, that all these things are lining up. You know, the life is a, is a road with peaks and valleys in it, but you seem to be able to have navigated it quite well and, and are doing uh, quite well at this time. And I'm, I'm all the happier for you. Much like the Chinese box office, Gerald, which started out a little bitter and has been going up and down and now growing to a massive mountain range that is defining the industry in ways that we never thought. The tastes of the Chinese market are decidedly different than certain uh, other parts of the world. And, it, you know, when Tomb Raider can score 
almost twice as much in its first weekend there than here. That That's definitely a telling sign on exactly how to market to a different audience than you, what you're doing maybe in other areas of the world. Again, I just want to I want to see more time. I want to see more films come out there. They've only really just opened the floodgates to allow specific films. It's not a free market where any film can be there. You have to go through government regulation and paperwork to even get a play. You have to team up with uh, Chinese companies. It, it's very strict on how things can get in there. So let's all just sit back before we make kind of the wrong claims. The one thing, though, that I saw that you guys posted on the Pop Culture uh, Cosmos Facebook page was about – uh, theaters in, in China and the design that people were, were going for with the number of theaters expanding rapidly. And it looks like there's more theaters in China than anywhere else in the world. Uh, there was an article that you posted about uh, a group, a design from really looking to structurally change up what a theater looks like. So when you walk into it, it is a visual experience before the the movie even plays. We're talking like uh, granite like rock explosions that are that are coming out of the theatrical wall. We're, we're looking at like almost like a uh, light speed uh, blending uh, decor around you. They basically want to translate elements from the movies that we know to the movie watching environment. And I mean, <laughs> this comes out after news in California of a man that died after getting his head uh, trapped under a seat in California. Maybe the theater design does need a little bit of, of work. I mean, the biggest innovation, of course, is the stadium seating, going from the flat seats back in when I started seeing movies in, in the 80s to now the stadium seating and, and uh, luxury recliners. But do we need more decor around it? Do we need to have a more immersive experience instead of just cutouts and standees on the way in? I'm not sure. I'm, I'm kind of torn. What do you think? Well, it comes down to this. Uh, you know, I'll go back to Tomb Raider. I mean, my daughter went to go see in an older part of Henderson, Nevada. And you go back to that theater and, and it is the old school as far as flatback, uh, as far as the, the way it's structured. Uh, and seats aren't really a, a priority as far as the comfort is concerned. But the prices are lower, substantially lower than what most people are, are paying for today. Where did uh, I go and get my tickets for Avengers Infinity War? I'm willing to pay more for that experience because it's it, you know got the recliners and it's got a whole lot better experience as far as from a visual standpoint as well. Improved screens, uh, IMAX, 3D, all that type of stuff is now available. But also, you got to remember, there's now other amenities as well. My son told me about when he was in Los Angeles recently about a theater in Thousand Oaks where he was sitting at. He not only had the recliners, but he also was able to order food and they came and served him food right to his seat. So he never had to get up. Those kind of things people are now willing to pay more for because, yes, it is more expensive to go to the theaters. But if in doing so, you provide something more than what people used to do and people used to have when they go to theaters. To me, it, it kind of makes sense because it should be an event every time now that you're going to theaters. I agree. And I think some of those services and some of these changes are worth the price because if you're going to make the commitment to see something outside of the home, which is now like the entertainment hub of everyone's universe, there's so much to watch, so much to do, and you can have a really great experience at home. Snacks are right there. No lineup for the bathroom. You can pause the movie. Then if you're going to go out, then it better be the best possible adventure that you can go on. I guess I'm not sure that we need to see a theater or a theatrical space transformed, mainly because it'll be cool the first 
six times you go to it, oh, I'm in the meteor room, oh, I'm in the light speed room, or I'm in like the ancient tomb theater screening room, and that's awesome. One, you're you're stuck with what's there. So if you're in the light speed room, but you're watching like a western, that's really not going to gel, and you're going to have some sort of a mishmash between the the area around you and what you're seeing on the screen. So I, I think for them to kind of do this, and I like where their head's at, and they've already done a number of theaters, and they said they're successful, and it's worth it. And I don't know if there's an additional t- ticket charge or if this is just a loss leader to bring people to the, the fancy theater like we're, like we're seeing and like what you're talking about. But I, I think they should go for a more modular approach. What can they do so that things can change around in suit towards the kind of genre or films that are there. If they're showing like a detective movie or a film noir, can it be all like black and white decor in there and have some sort of ambient music that goes with it? If it is a superhero film, can we see like, I don't know, cosmic explosions and like comic book, like, uh, you know, led paneling on the wall that's moving just some different ideas, you know, like I think that's where they should kind of aim and you can do 3d led light. So why not play with that formula instead of something that is so permanent that's going to feel dated to the viewer and inevitably not line up with the content that's on the screen anyways. It depends on the location, though, my friend. I will say this. If you go to Universal City, for instance, in California, they have right there on the Universal City Walk, they have a theater right there. I think something like that for a one time only, because a lot of people that go there are probably only going to visit there maybe once or twice in their life. That would probably be a cool place to do it at or near, you know, theme parks, attractions, major visiting or tourist spots that you're only going to be there at a handful of times at best. That might work there. But you're right. For the local mall, for the for the one at, uh, you know, that's right down the street, that shouldn't be as far as that elaborate and detailed, that permanent per se, but something that might change with whatever movie is going with it. That and, and be adaptive to it, that, that might be much more interesting and, and a much better better outcome for anybody who goes there on a regular basis. Well, and here's the other thing. You know, we're you and I are talking. We're pretty big movie aficionados. I don't get to go to the Cineplex as much as I would like to these days. Toddler, newborn, life has changed a little bit for me. But everybody that's listening to the Cosmic Crossfire, the Pop Culture Cosmos, the Pop Culture Multiverse, these are these are avid uh, consumers of, of pop culture and movies. That's who I'm talking to. I'm talking to the bread and butter people, the people that want that you know the movie pass so that they can go see like three movies a week or two movies a week or whatever it is to get their their appetite kind of satiated. Those are the people that 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 I'm talking about where they're gonna it's gonna get beyond what they need. Sure, I actually one of the things I like doing is when I do travel is go to a different theater so that I have that memory. I'll remember I watched Avatar when I was in uh, Disney downtown Disney in Orlando, so now I have that memory associated with that. I like seeing new theaters that I'm not used to, so it does feel a little new, fresh. And I agree, if you're gonna go to the Hollywood Walk and you see the theater there, that's that's a cool kind of thing to do. But for 90% of us, 95% of us that keep going to the same movie theater over and over again, unless a movie that we want isn't playing or unless we're trying to catch it on second run and a little bit of a discount or in an older theater, it, we got to constantly find ways to kind of make that viewing experience and that venture out of our homes, which we've talked about not only for theatrical stuff, but also buying things at different stores. But we got to make that, that journey kind of enticing for people. And so if it's always different or it feels different, then that's a way of getting people out of their homes and onto the streets. If you want to ask Rob or me a question for the Cosmic Crossfire, feel free to do so by just shouting us out. 
popculturecosmos at yahoo.com. Also as well, Pop Culture Cosmos, Humanic Media, Game Source, and Rob McCallum Films on Facebook, Rob McZob on Twitter. Rob, as always, it's great having you on. And and uh, tell you what, it's always great having you a part of the Cosmic Crossfire and, of course, the Pop Culture Cosmos. On March 30th, get ready for Kitty Origins Evolutions, the latest documentary from Rob McGowan. Thrusted into heavy metal stardom as teenagers with their debut release, Kitty has thrashed and conquered the heavy metal world for the past 20 years. Kitty has defied industry norms, fought back against women and rock stereotypes, and inspired generations since they appeared. And now, for the first time, they've decided to share their untold story. Generously peppered with archival footage shot by the band, this film gives you an honest and brutal look at what it takes to survive in the music industry. Pre-order the DVD, Blu-ray, and live CD triple pack that features recordings from throughout their 20-year illustrious history from RobMcCallumFilms.com. RobMcCallumFilms.com, your place for awesome stories about awesome people and films worth watching. Kitty Origins Evolutions drops March 30th, 2018. And we're back with the Pop Culture Cosmos show. This is Gerald Glassford from Pop Culture Cosmos and Game Source. Thanks so much for sticking around. We truly appreciate it. If for some reason you can't catch our show via the way you're doing now, we've got a bevy of ways you can catch our show each and every week. First off, our show's being streamed on online radio seven days a week on these great stations. Just got to check out our listings today on the Facebook page for Pop Culture Cosmos. Our good friends at Airwave Radio in the UK, Good Talk Radio, Croc Radio out of Canada, IPMNation.com on their IPM Nation One channel, Grey Cloud Radio, Western Reserve Digital Broadcasting, and of course, we are the number one and two shows on Monday and Friday nights with the Podcast Radio Network. Josh right here has got a great thing going on with the Podcast Radio Network as well with his Humanican Media Show on Tuesday nights. I'll test him here in a sec to see if he remembers the time. But if you need to download our show, no problem as well. You you can just simply subscribe and download our podcast today. Apple Podcasts, Podchaser, Podbean, the Gunny Geek Network, ESO Network, the Tangibound Network, the Weeby Geek Network, Google Play. And uh, you know, while I was on Podchaser, they were so kind enough to tell me some networks I didn't even know we were on, like Radio Public, Castro, there's Player.fm and over 20 more podcast networks, which you can download or show. And if you decide to do so, we're going to throw in some extra bonus material just for listening. Josh, you've got a great thing, like I said, with Humanica Media. So what's coming up this week with your great thing known as Humanica Media? Seven o'clock. Am I right? This is close. You got it. Eastern time. That's right. Tuesday nights, 7 p.m. Eastern. It's Attack of the Humanicans on the podcast radio network. Eastern time. Okay, guys, not Easter time. So we won't be playing an episode on Easter Sunday. It's Eastern. Okay. Well, well, the the Pop Culture Cosmos show and the PCC Multiverse will be played back to back on Good Talk Radio and Airwave Radio in the UK. Exactly. See what I did? So we have a new episode of What About This coming at you next week. Well, you can check out the last episode, which is up now. A uh, new Super BS Games cast is going to be hitting the airwaves on Thursday. New Topic Ocalypse will be going up tonight at some point. So definitely tune into that. And I'm sure they'll. the guys from the Guardians of the Geek podcast are working on 
something that i don't know they they mentioned something so they're going to be doing something comic book related so it might not be a gotg but i'm sure there's something we'll, we'll see though all right cool that's it we'll see indeed that is humanicamedia.com for the latest information so josh far cry 5 hits video game consoles and the pc this week and i'm so excited to play that I can tell already you're you're all excited to play that, and it's been been a while. I mean, it's been a good series. It actually, it's far exceeded. Sorry for the pun there. It's far exceeded my expectations on the series as far as going this far. If you include Far Cry Primal, Far Cry Blood Dragon, you know the, all the extras that they've put in there as well. So I ask you, Josh, Far Cry Five. It's got some. Good buzz around it. Not great, but really solid buzz as far as having a game that many people consider a triple A game in the industry that's coming out this early here in March. I'm not so sold on it. I think maybe Far Cry series may be something that that maybe should be put to rest after this one for a little while, just because of the fact that I think that Similar to uh, Assassin's Creed, maybe it's time to just you know let these titles lie and work on other stuff before you bring them back every year, two to three years, what have you. What are your thoughts on Far Cry Five? You said you're excited to play it, but you know, is there some trepidation at all with with maybe the Far Cry series after so many iterations? Yeah, they've kind of been all over the spectrum as far as like storytelling and styles and gameplay and stuff like that. I don't want to say that there's not a lot of places that they still can go because I don't really think that there is without just becoming monotonous. But, you know, we talked about this, I think it was last week where it's, you, you were at, you were talking about how the, the millennial thing going on here, the little bloggers catching the, uh, the racist guys church or whatever, the story for far cry five is there is kind of a cash grab type thing, you know, a little like if Huffington Post made a video game or something or something like that. Like you've, it's very it's it's touching on a lot of current issues in a roundabout way. Yeah. And, you know, you go forward, say, you know, we go two or three years down the line from now. And it, it honestly doesn't look like the trending issues are going to be any different then. So, yeah, there's not really going to be a lot that that they they can do and maybe they should take a rest because it's they've they've had a good run and i know primal wasn't as well received as the others but yeah maybe maybe it's time for them to focus on other other projects you know assassin's creed is it worked for them so maybe taking some time off would kind of reinvigorate the franchise and get people excited about it and like i i've always admired them for where you know the places that they're willing to go like blood dragon was was completely out of left field but it was really cool so I, but when, well hold on i will say this wouldn't you know the timing of that the creator of the blood dragon game the dlc the standalone dlc whatever you want to call it actually just left ubisoft last week oh so we won't be getting a uh, blood dragon version of people so that's unfortunate I'm going to play it and like I I'm not going to be able to make a final decision on this until after I get my hands on it. But I, I see where you're coming from and I see where the, the concern is coming from. And maybe they will take a couple uh, weeks. I, I honestly don't like as far as storytelling goes, I don't see anywhere else they can really go currently. But um, 
you know, we'll see. We'll see. I'm I'm still waiting for Ubisoft to announce that their games all take place in shared universes. So I have a feeling that's gonna I know Watch Dogs and Assassin's Creed does, but they're gonna get desperate for to keep a franchise alive one day and they're just gonna say, you know what? There's assassins in Far Cry now. This is all part of the the Templar uh, attempts to take over the world. They're manipulating people. So, it, it, you know, they might do something like that, too. Who knows? They'll have a division of individuals that are doing it for honor. In fact, they'll call themselves the crew. How about that for puns right there for you? That's good. It's just a little fractured butthole. There you go. There you go. Well, it's just like like you said, I I think they should lay off the Far Cry series after this one for a little while. Just finish it out, provide some nice DLC, provide some good companion stuff for it, and then just give it a rest for about three, four, maybe five years and just bring it back. It'll be fresh back to gamers, uh, and uh, it'll, it'll probably be a wise move, in my opinion, to do that because they now have a lot more resources and a lot more titles that they can go to. Plus they're not afraid to bring out new stuff like for honor, the division rainbow six siege two years after it's been released has gotten even stronger and stronger. As far as popularity is concerned is, is now currently one of the best selling games out on the market for something that was pretty good, did okay. But with the DLC that's been added and all the operators and the way it's been perceived and, and the fact that it's been now uh, such a great part of the streaming and, and esports experience that it has now become a mainstay of, of Ubisoft as far as that's concerned. Now, you also have, like I said, you have For Honor, you have The Division with The Division 2 announced already. You've got other stuff on the plate that you can go ahead and work with. So it's about time that maybe you, you just ease off the Far Cry series for a while before it becomes too redundant. And then same thing with uh, Assassin's Creed. You gave that some time off. You're doing really well here, and you're you're not going to bring on Assassin's Creed for, for a spell maybe 2019 at the earliest, so you're going to provide DLC for this current iteration of Assassin's Creed. Just give some, some of these games some space and then let them breathe a little bit before you go back in full board with another game in the iteration. Just seems like it's a, a no-brainer to me because... Far Cry, when Far Cry 5 was announced, I was not excited for you. I'm going to be honest with you. I played through some of the Far Cry iterations. They've been pretty good for me. Far Cry Primal was a letdown, I think, in a lot of people's eyes. But Far Cry 5, uh, you know, was like, eh, all right. And I like, you know, the synopsis like, eh, it's kind of interesting. But it's, you know, is this a game to have, even though it should be a AAA title, because some of the titles before it have performed like AAA titles, it should be, but I'm not sure entirely that people still think that the Far Cry series is a top-notch series. I know that they they took crafting out of this one, so it's you know we'll see like what type of mechanics they put in place of that. I know Primal involved a lot of crafting, and that was kind of one of the downfalls about the game. But I've never been too into Far Cry. Like, I'm excited to play this one, but I'm not, like, excited that it exists. You know, I'm excited to play it because I have, it's like, it marks the kind of the beginning of, like, big game releases for the year. So I just, I'm enjoying the idea of having something to play, something to stream, but... You know, I've never been a huge Far Cry fan. I'm excited to play this, but that's about as far as my enthusiasm's going. 
Exactly. And I think a lot of other people are like you that it's, hey, it's nice it's coming out, but it's no longer that I got to have like Far Cry 4 was, Far Cry 3. I think those were, that was really for me the high point of the series. Maybe even Far Cry 2. Far Cry 3 and Far Cry 4 actually hit, uh, you know, as far as right out there with their releases. They came out during the height of as far as popularity and also the height of of when games, you know, it really marketed itself to be a top-notch game. And I'm not saying that Far Cry 5 isn't. It's just that I don't see the kind of wave of enthusiasm behind it that's going to make it and keep it a top-notch game for the entire year. But hopefully I'm proven wrong and Far Cry 5 will be something that that's outstanding and and be one of the 10 best games of the year. And let's, let's hope that's the case because if not, maybe it's time for Ubisoft to reevaluate the Far Cry series and, and maybe put it to rest for a little while and then reboot it again sometime down the road. What are your thoughts on the Far Cry series? Share us your thoughts. PopCultureCosmos at Yahoo.com. Also as well, PopCultureCosmos, Humanity Media, and GameSource on Facebook and Twitter as well. Are you interested in Far Cry 5? Do you plan to play it? Or is it something that you're tired of as far as the Far Cry series as a whole? Share us your thoughts and let us know. We'd love to hear back from you on the Far Cry series or anything that we're talking about here at the Pop Culture Cosmos. When we return, we've got Vince Autulo from That Sports Card Show. He's going to be stopping by talking about sports cards and if it is a good time to get back into them. Because certainly I had that question I know a lot of other people do too, and he answers it for us and a whole lot more when we come back. This is the Pop Culture Cosmos. For the latest reviews and opinions on everything pop culture, head on over to our brand new site, www.popculturecosmos.wordpress.com. And we're back again with the Pop Culture Cosmos. My name is Gerald Glassford from Pop Culture Cosmos and Game Source. We truly want to thank you for listening and hanging out with us here on the show. One of the things I want to do as far as pop culture is concerned, we always talk about movies and television and board games and video games and, and all that great stuff during the course of the year. But one of the things we like to focus on every now and then is the collectibles market. And something actually a long time ago, way back in many a decade ago, I was heavily involved in the sports card trading market. I have a collection still today that is probably not as worth as much as I would like it to be. But hey, you know, I gave it a try. And, and in fact, the mood hit me that I might want to get back into sports card trading. And I know there's a lot of other people out there as well that want to get into it, but they're kind of curious or they're kind of hesitant because they're not sure where to dip their toe in the water. Here to help me with that and help everybody out there as well is a guest that I'm just so, so glad to have finally come onto our program. He is the host of That Sports Card Show podcast. It is available now on Apple Podcasts and Stitcher. You got to listen to it in regards to, you know, hearing everything about the sports card market. It is Vince Atulo. So great to have you a part of the show, and, and I'm so glad to have you here. How's it going today? It's going great, and I really appreciate you having me on here. This is kind of fun. It is indeed for me as well a great treat because, like I said, in the late 1980s, early 1990s, I was heavily into sports card trading. Hoops had just come out as far as from a basketball sense. I was getting really involved there. 
obviously tops as far as not only from a basketball sense, but also primarily as a baseball sense, as far as baseball card trading and things of that nature, upper deck and Donruss and all that. Mm -hmm. There's so many names then as there is now, as far as the marketplace is concerned. So the first thing I ask you is point blank for anybody out there that is interested in maybe delving back into it. Is it a good time to get back into sports car trading it is probably as good of a time now as any time that it has been within the last 15 well since i'd say the late 90s uh, we'll call it the post junk era the junk era was any well people debate on it but mainly it's considered the era between 1986 and 1993 that was when there was mass overproduction in the baseball card market just about the time i was actually trading cards at that point well that's that's what everybody says when you talk to people they're like oh i've got all these old baseball cards oh really what year are they oh they're 87 through 93 i'm like yeah that's what i thought and you know it seems like when you go to um like a Goodwill or a flea market and you find baseball cards, that's what they're always are going to be. You know, they're never 1952 Bowman. They're always 1987 tops. But anyways, that's because they were so overproduced during that era. And now people thought that they would be worth a lot. And, you know, they were just so overproduced. They're not worth much. They, I mean, there are exceptions to that rule. And a lot of people were who are fans of that era are kind of getting back into it now. And they still have some of those cards. And there's a couple grading services that grade cards and some of those old cards that made during the junk era, if you, if you've got them in pristine condition and they grade really high, you know how grading services grade coins and comic books and things like that. Well, they also, you can, you can have that done with, with sports cards and trading cards and you can still get some value out of those junk era cards. Uh, if they're in immaculate shape and they're the right players. So, you know, even with that, you can still get some value, but as for right now, there are a lot of there's a lot of places you can you can get cards now you can get them at the retail places you can get them all over online but there's not many hobby shops left i'm sure when you were collecting you probably went to a hobby shop or a sports card store in that yes, era at that many of them plus also as well i actually uh used to deal a little bit when i was going to shows and conventions i actually did a couple tables at one point in time you know, I had a little bit of a stockpile, obviously not by any large stretch of imagination, but like anybody, like like the, the dealers you see now these days that, that have amassed quite a few. But back then, like you said, in that era, there were a lot of individuals such as myself who were novices actually trying to get into it. They bought cases and cases of supplies of, of cards, yes. which, as you indicated, are not exactly worth the highest amount right now. Right. Well, during that era, that's when the hobby was at its uh, kind of its highest peak, but it, like I say, due to overproduction, which I think they've kind of learned their lesson. Well, that's people debate on whether they actually have or not, but th they have uh, lower print runs now than what they had then. And actually, if you are still into that cards from that era, there's plenty of cases and boxes that still have never been opened from that era. You can still get at very good prices because they were so overproduced. You can, they're still available. So I see on eBay and other also, great places to go as far as for looking for at least value as far as what sports cards are trading at. You do see that all the time as far as ads for those that era. Yeah. So one, one of the things I wanted to ask you, Vince, once again, I am on with Vince Atulo. He is the host of That Sports Card Show podcast. You got to check it out today on Stitcher and also as well Apple Podcasts. 
I've been listening to it. It's a great show, and I'm going to have him explain why later in the broadcast. But I want to ask you, what sport should people actually start to lean on first if they're just coming back into it or if they're just delving into it for the first time? Well, that depends on what they're collecting for. Now, if they're collecting for investment purposes, if they've got some cash they want to invest in sports cards because they're going to speculate that they're going to increase in value over time, my advice is to buy the highest graded vintage cards that you can. When when I say vintage, I mean like the golden era of baseball, the, the Mickey Mantles, the Babe Ruth, the Roberto Clemente's. Those kind of cards, you know, the the big names, the classic names, you get those kind of cards and that's a pretty safe investment. They, they are not going to decline in value because I don't think they have over the past 30 years. They've always went up. That's the advice I give is the highest, the highest graded vintage that you can afford. That's where uh, I would start if you're looking for investment. But if you're doing it for fun, what I recommend is collect what you love, collect what you like. I'm from Ohio, so I collect a lot of Ohio teams. Like, I had a little pet collection project this year, signature cards of all the Cincinnati Bengals rookies. So all the Bengals rookies that they had this year, I've got signature cards of all of them. A couple of them, multiple, you know, because they had some some pretty nice players this year in the draft. But, like, that's just my thing. Now, me doing that, I don't care if they accrue value or not because it's something I like. It's always going to be kind of valuable to me. Now, if somebody is getting into the hobby now, just, well, let's say you've got a kid playing baseball and you want to teach him the current players. Baseball cards are a great way to do it. You can show them the positions they play. You can read the statistics on the back of the cards or their batting average. You can explain what those all mean. Uh, trade They can trade them with their friends. Although some of the cards now, uh, it's a different ball game with the cards now than like when you were younger and when we were younger. They have like value added stuff with the cards they come autographed by the players they come with pieces of the jersey in them they're very low numbered they come serial numbered now down to one of ones which are one of a kind cards and like the shorter the print runs on these serial numbers the more valuable the cards are so you can get into some pretty valuable cards Uh, and trust me they're boxes right now you can get boxes of cards now tops just had it was their second year for releasing it this year, the Tops Transcendent. They were about $25,000 a box. Can you believe that? My goodness, that's a, that's a pricey thing indeed, but that's definitely a, a very encouraging for those wanting to step into actually the realm of sports card trading. Uh, that's, some, uh, that's some very pointed advice right there. Before I let you go, you got to tell me, about your awesome podcast. Like I said, I've been listening to it, but you, you need to tell everyone out there that's listening to us here, why that sports card show podcast is the place to go for everything sports cards and major collectibles. I tried to make my podcast like the podcasts that I like to listen to. And the podcasts that I like to listen to just basically have a conversation between not too many people, but usually just like a one-to-one conversation where you can kind of really get in depth on topics, you know, where you can really get into things and get the who, the what, the where, the why, and the the how-to, and you really kind of get to know somebody. Our shows are usually about between 40 minutes and an hour, and you know, we, we won't just talk about sports cards. We'll talk about uh, just anything that is going on with the person. Like our most recent podcast, we had uh, producer and director Stu Stone on, and Stu 
has a documentary he has just completed called Jack of All Trades that is about the sports card industry during the junk era we've been talking about. And it's about because his dad at the time was one of the biggest sports card hobby shops operators that was in Canada at the time. He had like, I think he said 11 different stores, but he goes into just everything in his documentary about the sports card industry and what happened to it. And then it kind of takes a turn, uh, like a personal turn between him and his dad. But that's just the last guest we've had. We've had a couple other people on who've talked about their days in collecting, like uh, Slim Jim Phantom, the drummer from the Stray Cats, Danny Boy O'Connor from the House of Pain, you know, the Jump Around song. You know, <laughs> We've had assorted athletes, and we had Dan Severn on talking about collecting, and just and whoever, you know, not just celebrities or sports people just or just be the guy next door try to have an interesting conversation is what we're trying to do once again it's that sports card show podcast you can catch it today on apple podcasts and also stitcher as well if you have any inclination at all into getting into the sports card or non-sports card market as far as trading buying investing it's a cannot-miss podcast. And also, if you're just interested in, in learning more about the sports card world, you just you, you got to listen to it. It's just an awesome show indeed. Vince, it's been so great having you on the podcast. We truly appreciate you taking the time to talking to us here about some great sports card action. So great to have you here at the Pop Culture Cosmos. If you're tired of sifting through flea markets for rare and unique games, we can help. Retro City Games in Henderson, Nevada, only five minutes from the Las Vegas Strip, has all your favorite gaming staples, classics, and a wide selection of rare games with new stuff always appearing on our shelves. Come in and chat with Nicole or Doug about your love of games and watch as they help you complete your collection or find your childhood favorite. And don't forget, Retro City Games loves trade-ins. So if you have any Nintendo, Super Nintendo, Sega, Xbox, PlayStation, or even PC games, come in and visit Retro City Games today. Welcome to the new metropolis of gaming, Retro City Games. And we're back to close out the show. This is the Pop Culture Cosmos. This is Gerald Glassford, and we want to thank you so much for sticking around with us. And we also want to thank Vince Atulo from That Sports Card Show for hanging out with us, plus also as well my good friend Rob McCallum. And if you're a fan of heavy metal or documentaries, Kitty Origins and Evolutions is coming out on the 30th. You still have time to pre-order today, but that documentary is coming out on the 30th. And you want to go ahead to robmccallumfilms.com. You can get all the information there. Before we head on out, Josh, we're going to head back into our countdown of the Marvel Cinematic Universe as we count down the movies in the universe up to, of course, the Avengers Infinity War coming out on the 27th of April. So I ask you, Josh, we're now up to Guardians of the Galaxy, one of our favorite movies in the series and a movie that was leaving a lot of people not sure what was going to go on because the series as a whole in the comic books is not that well-known. It wasn't well-known by me when it first came out as a movie, and I was just enjoying it because I thought this might be a good sci-fi flick and, and something Marvel hadn't really approached at any point in time earlier. I see why they did it. They're probably trying to open up the cosmic side of the Marvel Cinematic Universe without having entered negotiations with Fox. for Because it would have made sense to do a, a Silver Surfer type thing uh, originally, but Guardians of the Galaxy, they had more access to a wider variety of characters there. And um, 
it was weird because Guardians of the Galaxy was kind of like a warm up for the ensemble flicks because they they already had Avengers under their belt and it was it was cool to see all these characters come together. But no, I I think it's cool. is it is a nice intro to they, they they tried to do it in the dark world a little bit, but they did a better job in Guardians of the Galaxy of making that just showing what the rest of the galaxy looks like and how far spread Thanos is uh his grip reaches. So that was interesting to see that aspect of it and it was a good it was a pretty decent sci-fi flick i wouldn't like necessarily call it a uh you know in terms of like alien or something like that but like it was for a marvel movie it was good what i didn't like about it was the fact that it kind of set the pace for the we need to have a joke every three seconds in these marvel films you know and that kind of eventually bled into it didn't work so well in Guardians of the galaxy 2 not my favorite movie and then it kind of bled into thor ragnarok well it was funny at first I tried to watch it again. I just got a little annoyed at like just the joke, joke, joke. Like we can't follow a plot line. We're so stupid that we have to have a joke. We have to laugh every three seconds in order to know where the movie's going. So that aspect I wasn't a huge fan of. But no, it's a, it, it was good for what it was, what it intended to do, what they wanted it to do. It did that very well. I believe so as well. It is, like you said, one of our favorite films and is one of the best films in the Marvel Cinematic Universe. Something that for me totally came out of left field. And definitely if it's something that left an indelible mark with us, but also, like you said, something that set the precedent for movies such as Thor Ragnarok, also as well, Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 2, but also Ant-Man. Don't forget Ant-Man. That one had a lot of one-liners as well. So... For better or for worse, the success of Guardians of the Galaxy proved out that Marvel could go in a direction that was different and still craft a an excellent movie and also craft a movie that's very popular with characters that were really not known to the general audience. Its importance as a movie makes it really one of the biggest films in the Marvel Cinematic Universe. What are your thoughts on Guardians of the Galaxy? Do you love it as much as we do? Do you not like it? Do you have it on the upper echelon or the lower echelon of the Marvel Cinematic Universe films? Share us your thoughts, popculturecosmos at yahoo.com. Also as well, popculturecosmos, humanica media, and Game Source on Facebook and Twitter as well. So any last thoughts, my friend, on the way out? No. <laughs> no, I do. On one of these episodes coming up, I do want to talk to you about indie games. I'm playing Lost Fear right now, and I kind of like it. It's not per se an indie game, but there's the capabilities of some of these indie makers are just pretty amazing. So we do need to talk about that. We do because it has evolved not only in the in, in you know around the the 90s and the early 2000s, but when I first started going to E3s, really on a year by year basis, back around 2010, 2011, and I went to Indiecade and. And I saw the evolving of the games there and far as the looks for a lot of them were still very crude and has evolved with the technology and the ease in which you can get that technology to look a lot better now. So where you have indie games that look just as good, if not better, than a lot of AAA titles out there, that's for sure. So definitely look forward to talking to you about indie games in the near future as well. So for Josh Peterson... This is Gerald Glassford. It's another beautiful day in paradise right here in the pop culture cosmos. We thank you for listening. And here's hoping you have yourself a great day.
You're listening to a Weeby Geeks Network podcast. This has been a broadcast of the ESO Network. Be part of the crew and help support our shows by donating to our ESO Patreon or by shopping through Amazon.com or the Tee Public Store, which can all be found at www.esonetwork.com. The ESO Network, your station for all things geek. Tangent Bound Network. Let your voice be heard. Tangentboundnetwork.com. Thanks so much for downloading the Pop Culture Cosmos as a special treat. We're adding a bonus episode, which starts right now. So sit back and relax as you enjoy more awesome goodness from the Pop Culture Cosmos family. And stay tuned as more great podcasts are on the way. Thanks again for listening to us here at the Pop Culture Cosmos. My name is Brian Foster. Everything you know is wrong. Got that? Now, the reason that I'm calling is because I have begun to suspect you don't have any ladybugs in your freezer. Hey guys, Roy here. So about your car. The darkness was never empty. There's this presence in my head. But I'm pretty sure that the book was confiscated by cats. And some people call me the Night Blogger. Um, I'm Keith. I'm Kyle. Producer Josh. It's Travis. Uh, so today I have a topic to bring up. Um, it's about talent, and there's a number of ways I've thought about this over the years, but here's how I'm going to say it today. Um, I say that the best basketball player ever has never actually picked up a basketball. That is quite the premise. Like, <laughs> just specifically basketball? I mean, you can you can apply to anything else. Okay, <laughs> I'm, but we'll use we'll, but we'll That's use basketball. Example. I'd like it to be clarified. So Thank yeah, you. yeah. So what? Do you, so hey, for real though, the best basketball player ever never picked up a baseball bat until Michael Jordan did. So amen. <laughs> so so my here's my here's what I'm thinking about talent. We I think we often overestimate the effect talent has on how successful something is. So when we have this discussion about who's the best basketball player ever, like it's always in the context of like. Oh, it's Kobe Bryant, it's Michael Jordan, it's LeBron James, like specific people who are already playing basketball. And obviously that they have talent. I'm not saying that they don't. But we often overemphasize their natural talent in a field, and that's what makes them the best, or that's what makes them successful. And I think that has little to do with what makes someone successful in any given field. So are you also asking then... um are you asking the question is why are they why are those guys why are Kobe why are Jordan right. why are LeBron why are those why are those guys the best right. why are so they what makes is them simply because they're the most talented right. what makes them successful and I think we often assume it's their talent mm. and my, my I say that that has 
very little to do with it, or less to do with, a lot less to do with it than we all. Would you say do. more? Would you say it's more based on like opportunity? I mean, there's a bunch of things that can go into it. So, it, it, opportunity is going to be one. Mm-hmm. I think um, you hear all the stories about all three of those guys. And one of the things that always stands out is their work ethic. So how much they put in, how much effort they put in. Um, I think there's a there's a personality trait of like obsessiveness as well. That's part of well, success. What drives and, me nuts is this isn't talent. This is obsession, or this isn't talent. This is hard work. Mm-hmm. I I hate that phrase because it's if anything it's both and right, right. and and more. <laughs> there there there's more going on. There is if you look at say even like a Steph Curry. You go, Steph Curry, because of who his father was, he had access right. to yeah, some of the exactly. best coaches and camps. And so that, he does have the talent. Mm-hmm. Is he the most talented? I We won't even go there yet. But is he the most talented? Um, he might be the most talented, but he also had one of the greatest opportunities. Right, sure. So before we say who is, we're just, we got to look at like, because we've decided that the person with the most <clears throat> rings or however we right. want to define it is the most talented, which that would be Robert Ori. So <laughs> today, he has yeah. 13 rings. So you can't, even that conversation. Did he gets score re- that half court shot against the Sacramento Kings? No, back that was the- Derek Fisher. Oh, okay. Point four. Yeah. Right. So <laughs> that, I know that was yeah, a half quarter, but the, point, the switch. But he, no, but Ori did have a bunch of clutch threes. In that no, point. yeah, he was integral yeah, yeah, yeah. in, but he, but, but not, not, not in all those rings. No, no yeah. not, <laughs> not all thirteen of them. That's yeah. for sure. Yeah. Oh, he cheered. Yeah. Um, but you look at even if you want to, most people are going to argue and discuss Jordan, LeBron, and Kobe for right. the most part. Right. For whatever reason, they like to um, leave out. Uh, Will Chamberlain and those, those guys, you're like, wait, why scored 100 points in a game once? Yeah, and you're yeah. Like, oh, he was tall. You're like, there's a lot of tall guys yeah. in the NBA. Well, and that, but, <laughs> yeah. but that even goes to like, the point. I mean, maybe it doesn't, but like the idea is that, that there's so much, there's more goes into success. And I think what I, I guess my, my, what I'm pushing back against is that talent doesn't equal success. That's what I would say that we've sort yes. of made that equation and I don't think that. And success doesn't equal the talent. most talent. Right, exactly. So you, but, but in this discussion, so to define terms is most people's entering into the discussion is, well, A, I like Kobe more than I like Jordan. Right. And that's why, because you didn't grow up in the Jordan era. Right. Mm-hmm. I like Kobe more than I like LeBron. And then you say, look how many rings Kobe has. And then someone goes, look how many finals he's been doing. You're like, all right, hold on. Yeah. Back up. Right. What are you guys even arguing? Are you right. arguing for your opinion on just who you prefer? Because I can adhere to the fact that Kobe is one of the most insane basketball players right. ever live. Um, period. But I, I'd rather watch LeBron. Right. Mm-hmm. And so I just prefer the ride. I enjoy LeBron. But I'm not going to say, oh, Kobe's not as good as LeBron is. Right. I don't even, before you even get into that, you got you to first answer that question. And so when you get into, when you get into this idea of talent and mm-hmm. is what goes into someone, because there is talent involved. Right? Oh, of course. Yeah, but, definitely. But so the most talented person that doesn't mean they're going to have the most success. Right. Well, and I think the other thing is, and I think part of it is this thing we've talked about was one of the other things was opportunity. It's like, so if you look at across the globe, there's mm-hmm. what, seven and a half, eight billion people. Statistically, the person who would actually be naturally the best at a thing maybe doesn't even come close to being able to do the thing, right? So basketball is largely a, an American sport in yeah. the United States, right? So the best basketball player may be some... Kid in India. So you're saying, right? that, I mean, that, or, yeah. Or so you're, so you're uh, saying, like, 
Lithuania and you're, like they just they're never gonna play basketball because that's not part of their culture. Yeah. So what you're saying is that based on like the ratio of like professional basketball players right. to to people, right? That it's a good chance that not only does the best basketball player not play in any professional league, but right. has maybe never even played basketball. Right. That's exactly. Right. And and so the, what I'm saying is I'm pushing. I'm positing that extreme premise because. Me? Yeah. Yeah. Have you picked up a basketball? <laughs> or Josh? Yeah. Yeah. So. yeah right. But the point, I guess, what yeah. I'm saying is that, and because that's even before we get into within the United States. Um, social and economic opportunity as well so like we haven't even unpacked that why you know some people may have access to a certain thing and certain uh certain like um activities are more expensive so people who can't afford it can't be part of that you know whatever that is i'm saying just sheer statistics say that that has to be that whoever would naturally be the most talented has never picked up the basketball right i mean the more the likelihood that that's the case is more likely than the other one is that they have picked up the basketball and are playing in the nba I I get that. That just seems very far to go. There was you know well, I mean? yes, like, yeah, like, right. Of course. Well, and well, I'm only pausing it to push the idea that we overestimate talent. There was a documentary on about uh, in the Middle East how like they weren't allowed to create uh, produce certain types of music, and so these kids have been watching. Um, you know, metal bands on like MTV, they've been seeing like As LA Dying and a lot of these like modern heavy metal bands in there. You know, As LA Dying, bad example. Um, yeah, <laughs> we'll go with it. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so like there, and so like this started this whole underground movement of like metal bands playing in basements in like Iraq and Iran and places like that. And, uh, you know, they, they, there was a movement to shut this down, but then like these kids were like getting so big, and so like people were actually paying for them to come over to America and create music right. for them. But if they hadn't have done that, if they hadn't been exposed to like metal in our culture, right. they would have never known that they were good at this right. stuff. Yeah, and and I think that that's so my because what's really underneath this question for me is like what does if we're gonna say something is the best right? So whenever I've heard this conversation, and again, it's a lot of times when I'm watching like the sports commentary show, so it's like. Who's the best ever? It's like, my question is always like, well, what do you, what does it mean to be the best? Like when we're saying someone is the best, mm. what is, and what are some of the assumptions that we're making, right? And I think one of the big ones is, well, this person is the most talented. Um, I think part of that, there's this myth that we all like to think about. It's like, oh, if I were just naturally gifted enough, someone would come recognize me and all that. Like I don't, so I don't have to put in the work and all. And, and I mean, that's what part of it. Yeah. Okay. What's else? What else is part of it? I, I mean, mean I know a, that there are no, but I'm, I mean, I'm saying like I don't think I don't think the talent part is a myth in terms of like people, oh yes, in yes. terms of like people finding you. No, I meant what I meant is that we want to believe that that's that's why we're not successful. It's like oh, I'm just not talented. Like I don't have that talent. I think not that oh, I could have been maybe I could have been that because I would have liked to. I didn't, but I didn't want so to then, work as hard. So then you got to go off the kid that is, sure, or the person that is is okay. So there's the talent. Why didn't the why didn't the talented kid right. make it? Or to to kind of point uh, Josh's example with music is if you've never been exposed to yeah, I was going to say the, the if, exposure if the, and the opportunity. If the ball never rolled by you to pick up, right? So 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 we can we can easily go. Yeah, that's a possibility. Right. That's definitely right. a possibility, which more so enters I think into a discussion of to, uh, talent 
doesn't always equal success. It kind right. of, there's a right. lot of different variables that have to happen. So uh, for that talented person to be a success, again, right. work ethic is yes. huge. I used to play basketball in Venice Beach all the time, and a buddy of mine grew up there. He was the one who introduced me to Venice and would take me up there every weekend. He knew everybody in the back alleys mm-hmm. and on the court. He used to be a big drug dealer out there and then got clean, and he knew everybody. Still, and, did he still sell drugs after he was clean? No, just, <laughs> just he, he did away with the whole lifestyle. <laughs> yeah. okay. he, he in turn uh, started a nonprofit and did a really cool thing for the world. Okay. And so basically, yeah, Josh, uh, stop making jokes. No. <laughs> yeah. Hey, some people, man. Yeah, he's my friend. <laughs> we do here. It's, yeah. it's not the weirdest thing that's ever happened. No, we don't approach topics with complete yeah. irreverence. <laughs> I'm, uh, I'm a leaf guy. Uh, that's my friend. <laughs> so, so it's interesting. He would tell me stories about guys that we were playing basketball with that should have made it. Right. And then he would tell me about the three reasons why they didn't. Now, whether or not they they were going to make it is a whole other question. But he talked about the things that they chose to do right. instead of what they needed to do to go to the next level, to potentially go to what we have decided is the elite of the elite, it was the NBA right. or MLB or whatever, uh, top of the charts with music. Right. And so you go, well, um, okay, that doesn't mean though, because these guys, some of them were just like, oh, oh, oh my gosh, like, can you miss? Right. Can you miss? And so you're like, you're thinking, this guy should be. And you're like, well, why do we automatically go, he's so good, he should be. Right. And so <clears throat> I, 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 guess, I guess that's my question is, is, or I guess the question we're asking is, is right. how does one, what are, all, <laughs> what are all the variables that get you to that place? And sometimes yeah. it, get, it gets even, you can get even into the, the fashion world is, is why, has, why did their clothing line get picked up? Well, because the person that goes out to these trade shows is, and as a buyer goes, I like your line. Right. We're going to sell you at Bloomingdale's. Right. So it's there's just about of chance opportunity. Too. Right. There is, a, there is a, a fair amount of randomness to it as well. I mean, not just who you're born to, like but who your parents are in terms of like Kobe Bryant and Steph Curry or, you know, the natural talent you might have or, you know, where you're like, whether you have access to something, but also it could just be also, it's just, there's a chance that someone noticed you. Yeah. It's like to your point, like mm-hmm. you happen to be in the right place at the right time. Yeah. Um, and that someone noticed you and they liked what you did and that translated to them picking up and that person tend, might've had more influence well, yeah, well, the whole industry <clears throat> than, than maybe someone else might have. Right. Well, yeah. And I, and I think <clears throat> you have these scouts out there for all major league sports and even college, college sports. Right. And so they, they go, okay, well, my school or my team is in this area. And so for a professional team, they usually have, you know, scouts all over the country regional that are scouts regional scouts. Um, and they might have a, they might have something, um, they have like a set of uh, a criteria. Right. That they're looking for this type of person, right. both on and off the court though. Right. So sometimes, you, you know, you, you look in and you're like, hey, we'll take anyone who's good. But then you have another organization goes, how does he treat his wife? Right. So the reason I got right. in so wasn't... that could have factored into yeah, exactly. like the guys from Venice. Ethics and morals. Yeah, so and, I, yeah. Go, I go, I don't want that guy. He's a representative organization. Mm-hmm. There's a guy that's just as good as him. If who not is, better. If not better, but also he's a stand-up guy. His past isn't. Right. And so you even have guys... I knew a guy who got picked up from, I think, a so- uh, in soccer. 
No one came to look at him. They were looking at all these other stars at his school, but every year he progressed. And especially in right. soccer, if not everything, is is there a progression here? Right. Is this guy continuing to get better? Mm-hmm. Um, right. And then, so there's a sense of passion and drive to it too, like the desire to get better. So there's some people, that's actually, there's there's probably a good number of people who are naturally talented that end up not making it because they rest on their talent. And they don't, like to your point, they don't progress. So sometimes there could be situations where talent can actually hurt you. Because you're so good at it, you're not gonna you're not gonna push yourself, and so it's like so then you. But then I, so that you're good early, and then people catch up to you, and you don't progress past. So, it. so the reason the greatest basketball player to ever live is not playing is because no one has tapped that talent, right? You know, in a sense, or, or, yeah, or yeah. you know what I mean. Right, it's yeah, like yeah, no to make it simple, no one has or, pushed him to like or, increase or that. They talent. don't. They don't. They don't want to. They or he could have play. been. They want to play soccer instead. But they he, want to play. They want to be a poet. He could have I mean? been the best lacrosse player to ever live, but he lives in the inner city of Chicago. Right. They don't exactly. do that there. So, I, right. Yeah. Right. Or, I do. or cricket, and he lives in America. Or rugby player, and he lives. He, you know, like whatever. There's a whole bunch of things. Col- so, well, you're, you're, ta- you're right. getting into culture. culture you're getting well. into. Yeah, I was like, I mean, you could get into anything. Like, for example, uh, this is like even outside of the world of sports. Uh, yeah. A while ago. Apple was getting so many applications right. that they eventually said the only applications we are going to accept are are applications from uh, from people who have been referred by a current employee. Mm. So, so right. how many people could they have potentially missed out on right. because maybe they're the best programmer in the world, but they don't know anybody that yeah, asked for Apple. <laughs> What's funny is, last night I talked to a buddy of mine owns uh, a spot uh, over in Belmont Shore, mm-hmm. and he said, anytime I see your name on a reference, they're hired. Yeah. Because I make the best lattes count. <laughs> <laughs> That's simply because I because I, I was a great employee for right. him. Like yeah. I did a great job exactly. for him, and he goes, he, he said literally, it's like as long as they can speak, right. yeah. <laughs> and your name's on their reference. He's like, I I think I have, and we're, and we're right. buddies, and he's yeah. like, I esteem you, and so therefore, and so you're looking at it, and right. talent, talent is. I mean, think about all these. No talent superstars. Right. As long as I can package you, I mean, they have talent, but you're like, they're not that great. Well, they're not the best. But they so fit into a mold. Right. Exactly. They fit into a mold within well, Hollywood. Or, exactly. So it's less, it's also less how good you are and how good are you at what they need you the, to be good the at. Most, right? The most, the most, uh, so the best looking guy of the year. Right. Is not the best looking guy. Yeah, he happened to have the greatest film. Oh, Travis and I have talked a lot about what? this. Yeah, about, G- uh, people's uh, the like sexiest. No, man. it wasn't. It wasn't. It wasn't a film. It was Blake Shelton. He's a musician, right? Yeah, Blake Shelton. He's another. He's another. Who are you talking about, though? All of them. Oh, all okay. of them. They all get on. Okay, there are certain ones that except are just Brad Pitt. The most handsome people. They're some of the most. Yes, but you. But you go. The, but the reason. But the re, The main reason is is because he's popular or she's right. popular. Exactly. So it, it, it's it's less about their aesthetic, their true aesthetic beauty, simply their, because it you mean is their objective beauty. Thank you. But it, it's more it's more about like how hot are they like in the spotlight right, right. now. Yeah. Also. Absolutely. They're, they're gonna get the cover. They're filling a need, right? Yeah. They're filling a cultural or a social need. Well who's gonna I'm gonna buy that because everyone's going to his movie. Right. So I'm gonna put you on my cover because I want more cells. Right. Mm-hmm. So now you even get into Unless right, you're uh, unless you're James Franco, in which case you're removed from the cover of <laughs> Vanity Fair magazine. Hey, yeah, that's, a, that's our last, not our last, episode, two episodes ago. Two episodes, yeah. yeah. Did you guys see that cover, though? Yeah, Oprah Winfrey has three hands. Right. Yeah. 
Yeah. <laughs> no, I didn't. <laughs> Look it up. It's funny. <laughs> but so you, you do, I think in all of life is why do certain people have positions in this right. world is because they know somebody mm-hmm. or because how many, well, how many right guys are, right time or, or how many managers out there in companies are the worst managers? The worst. I feel like most of them, I was talking to my brother about this and it's, Sometimes it's because those guys desire power the most, right. their position. Exactly. And so the reason they're there is be- and they well, don't care. To, they don't care right, to be good. They just right. care to get into the position. Right. So like to, to some point, like we go back to the, the basketball thing. It's like the reason why Kobe Bryant is one of the bas- best basketball players ever is because he really, really, really wanted to be one of the best basketball players ever. Yes. And so he worked until he was. Mm-hmm. Plus, I mean? though. Plus. plus Talent plus opportunity size plus size right of course all yeah. this stuff he comes like, he, he comes from one a of the background. reasons is that there's some usually my my guess is that when someone is considered the best at something is that they wanted to be the best and it doesn't mean maybe they wanted it for good reasons or bad reasons mm-hmm. but there was something mm-hmm. in them that they're like I want to do this thing and so I'm going to work at it <laughs> and there's all these other factors that I've already, I already have right so there's yeah there's not this one no, there's not, not this one, one thing, no, thing. and you even get into um. You know, Kobe Bryant's intelligence. That guy right. is. Right. That right. guy is. A, you know, he is. He is in line to be the next Zen Phil. Jack, kind of might. No, I think he's in line to be the next Bond villain. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You see how he dresses? Yes. He dresses like a Bond. But villain. he is so. Those guys, their IQ, not just yeah. in, in the NBA, no, no, right. but is these guys right. saw something and they said, okay, here's. This is why. This is why. I, I, he's an interesting study for Mayweather. Mayweather mm-hmm. is a genius. Everyone goes, he can't read. You're like, yeah, but like. <laughs> a lot of people that can't read. Yeah, but That's he true. has a lot more yeah. than you do. And, right. and he, he figures out a way to keep going. Right. He hasn't, hey, he hasn't had to move out of his mansion even though he went bankrupt or whatever happened. You're just going. The best thing was like him posting his check for like $350 million and was like, can you read this? <laughs> <laughs> I was like, I'm so bored. <laughs> yeah, but you, and, and so you look at even his yeah. life. He grew up around boxers. Right. He, oh, yeah, grew, yeah. he grew up in a family that literally told him every day, "You are the best." Right. So that shapes how he thinks of himself. Right. So you, so you get in front of someone and go, "I'm already the best, so I'm going to win." There is something to say about mm-hmm. mindset, and then you go, "He's obviously gifted. He's obviously talented. Right. Um, you have to have that." But then he has an insane work ethic. Right. He'll wake up. He's he's not. They say he's nocturnal. He'll be working out. He wakes his whole team up at three a.m. And he's like, "We're going to the gym. Let's go." He'll, he's doing row work. He is. I think is it nocturnal? Whatever he is, but it maybe I don't know. Noc- I don't know. Nocturnal is like a term for like animals he, he who, like who are awake, like awake at, at night and sleep during the day. day. I think he does that. Maybe. Okay. He's not an animal, but <laughs> no, I'll tell you. Oh, whatever. They. I don't know. Lucy. Right, whatever. Matter. So matter. the point being is, is he's he is obsessed. Right. He is obsessed because he knows he knows how to. But then you see what he he does in the ring. What what all right? What all announcers would say, what all experts would say, is he knows how to adjust. Right. So he basically does an intake on you in the first few rounds, right. and then he goes, "Okay, I have I have I, have, well, I figured out how to right. beat you." That is something you can't well, necessarily teach. Was, not only te- well, you can't teach it because a lot of it, and this is one thing we haven't even talked about. It also comes from experience too. Mm, so exactly. doing it over and over and over again 
has less to do with talent. Has not, a lot of merit. To do with talent, yes. but it has like the ten thousand hour. Right. He's just he knows what to do in any given situation. So he is just better than you right now because he he's he's, seen he's been there he's before. He's seen what you're doing. So he's like, I know how to I know how to beat that. Okay, so that's actually I had a question for you guys. Do you think that talent can be developed with uh, with practice? No. Yeah. I don't think I don't know. So this is where. The well, is that talent, talent or is that right, something else? Right. So. So the point is, I, there's a rawness to what, like, there's a raw ability, and I, I call that talent, whether we want to call that talent or not. But you can develop skills. There are certain skills you can't that are repetitive muscle memory skills that you can develop, and that will, in, in any sport or any thing, even not even non-sport, you can develop over time. And so that's, if you want to call that talent, sure, that's still part of, like, that's well, what it's, makes it's, talented. For but, the sake okay, of yeah, argument, I, is, I just, I, let's just... Whether they're correct definitions or not, but you go, okay, that raw talent is that raw ability to to do this well. Then there is with anything is okay. So if you if you look at t-ball, you have all these little kids down there. Most time they're picking their butt right and turning around in the outfield. Um, But you quickly can see who is gifted or talented. Right. They're still they still need to be trained right. and given the skill set, the fundamentals. So training, I guess. Right. But like okay. fundamentals will only take one so far unless you have the talent. Right. If you have the skill like so you take Bo Jackson. Yeah. Bo Jackson literally practice was he thought it was silly. Because right. he not but not like Iverson. He what's literally up, what's up, Iverson? <laughs> AI, AI, but but Allen Iverson didn't need to show up to practice anymore because he probably maybe maybe because his whole his whole life of I, I, I know what to do I don't right. need to do this. Well, that's also something he never practiced. Like he never he practiced always, outside of the official but, practice. But when you have a guy like Bo thing. Jackson, when he gets to this point, he actually ended up his first passion was baseball. Right. Then he was like, I'm bored, or I just want to for fun. I'm gonna go play in the NFL also and dominate that league. Well, and there is a there is a point at which someone is so talented they don't need to practice as much. Absolutely, that, that they've already have the training. So it's like it's training it like that is to get skills down. If you already have the skills, you don't need to practice. Like someone like Allen Iverson, who's like, I don't need the practice that like other guys on this team need. Right. Yeah. He because was saying the, that, and people were like that's so arrogant. It's like. No, no, that's true. Look at the stats. Right, yeah. Yeah, but so part of that is, yeah, he did train and he developed skills as he, and I think it's easier to, I don't know if you would say catch on or to to pick up the skill set needed to perform. Would you consider that a talent though, to like absorb information and be able to repeat it? I mean, that means, okay, so we can say like, um, so for ability? me, like, for me, I've always had a natural ability. I've always had a natural ability to look at uh, look at a text, look at a, like a book, a novel, something like that, and understand what's going on that I know other people don't have because I talked to them about it. Right. So right. I noticed. So I that was something from a very young age that I was able to do. Now I've also had 20, 20 plus years of training doing this. Right. And now I can recognize something that I know that part of that is part of my natural ability, but a lot of it is. I've read these books and I've studied this way of look, thinking and looking. So it's like, there's both, but I've always had that natural ability. But I've also been able to absorb when someone tells me how to. So when I study literary theory and criticism, I can grasp that a little bit easier and quicker than other people. All right. So, so that's, that's, I think it's both. So, so then, so the greatest basketball player to ever live isn't in the NBA, but if he's 25 right now, 
he couldn't walk onto the court. Yeah, he's no longer the greatest. Bounce, he right? he, can, he can't he can't right. walk onto the court because right, exactly. he needed to be tapped into at a certain right. age, at like eighteen, at least, mm. or at eight, mm-hmm. or right. at twelve. So yeah. So if you stripped everybody down to their raw talent, that dude is the most talented. But that's not why someone is in the NBA, mm-hmm. right? That's almost never the reason why someone's in a professional sport or in a profession is because of their is only because of their talent. Well, that's why I bring in Bo Jackson because you right. just see a guy that is raw talent. But people, what people often do right. is take away his raw intelligence. People take away how incredibly smart he is. That guy is a smart man. Mm-hmm. And so we, we narrow it down to, oh, he's just athletic. Well, and so right. here, while um, – I think it's going to be you and I. Yeah, um, there you go, guys. Keith, yeah, Keith has responsibilities, yeah. unlike the rest of us, <laughs> to a degree. All right, see you guys. Um, Bye, but Keith. Um, so here's, here's the difference, I think, between uh, athletics and, like, the entertainment industry is athletics – it, it's harder for it to be about who you know because if you get out on the court and score zero points, it's gonna, it doesn't matter who you know. If you can't play, you can't so play. I know the coach, like, um, but you have no points. But how often do you like, how often does like a band get to play SNL and you're like, oh, they're horrible? Yeah. Like, and I know obviously I'm speaking from a subjective standpoint. Sure. But, but uh, even, actually, but no. no. Actually, you know what? No. no. Because even from like, even from like I, I've heard a, I have heard a good voice. <laughs> like I yes. know, and and I know what it sounds like. And I know not everybody can sing to that level. But then you go, but the, but you're singing like down here, and you, like and yeah. like so and it's exposure. The, then yeah, is what and there's an objective. Yeah. I, I think there's an objective like catchiness to music, yeah, uh, and things like that. To where the entertainment industry now. Is you go? I think maybe so. The best rapper has never been discovered. Yeah, well, and I think that's kind of his point, right? Keith's mm-hmm. question is: is this this actually transcends into all areas of life, right? And so uh, there was um, someone had told me I never really listened to him. They told me about a band that pretty much just had they had a certain amount of talent, mm-hmm. they had a certain um, and giftedness, <coughs> whatever. But really, what they had was. They had connections, mm-hmm. they had money, and they were willing to fit into the mold that was selling to the masses at that time. I think that's that's the key too. Is is for certain things, but when it comes into say like rapping, it so so here it goes back to goes back to episode one. Guess mm-hmm. is you just said it. There's an objective kind of thing going on where you go, okay, so you're telling me because this is what we tell. This is what we tell. Our society, kids especially in our society, is you could do whatever you want as long as you put in the work, mm-hmm. which is simply not true. Not everyone can get into the NBA. Right. I, I do. I was going to talk about that. I, my least favorite thing in the world is hearing <laughs> teachers say, you can do anything you set your mind to. You can't. You, you, you can't. And that's it, okay. And that's that's fine. Right. But like, even I've, I've come across situations where like, you know, people are saying, you know, I am going to write a book because everyone keeps telling me that I can do it and I should do it. But then they end up writing this book and it's garbage. Yeah. Well, because, and you know why is maybe they have a different platform that they need to be a part of. 
mm-hmm. but writing is not in them. Now the question is, is well, what if they wrote over and over and over and over and they, and they honed the craft? The part that I get stuck on is, is I think some people can, for, for just using basketball, right, is, as, our, as our kind of right. picture is, is they could dribble a ball, they could take so many shots, but there's just something in them that they'll never get to that level no matter what. Mm-hmm. The same thing is I can write, I can write, I can write. You can, a bunch of my buddies back in the day as a joke, they would put on um, beats of famous songs and then rap over them. Yeah. And the best part was listening to how terrible people were and some guys are like oh that was pretty clever but you're like but you're not a rapper and you never will be yeah right it doesn't matter how much you do yeah that was pretty clever right once yeah and it still wasn't good (laughs) yeah it wasn't good compared to him it was clever for like who you are yeah (laughs) yeah in the setting that we're in we're lowering the standards here (laughs) yeah Yeah. so you you see this it, it goes back to which is which is interesting to the question is that person could could that person exist? Mm-hmm. Yes, that person can't. Could, could, right? I was I was thinking about uh, Jamaican bobsled team. Yes, <laughs> cool. Ru- yeah, yes. cool runnings. And so you're going. Right? Don't they win it or something? And uh, uh, whatever. I don't know if they win, hey, but they become competitors. Fun fact: Spoiler. that movie would never be allowed to be made today because it's a white guy helping a bunch of black people. It's, Gore big in the Olympics. I was thinking about that. Mighty Ducks too. Like a lot of the stuff that they said in the Mighty Ducks, you would never get away with saying in a movie today. Be- probably forget because they hinge jokes on racism. Mm. It's Interesting. Crazy. crazy. If you ever go back and watch those from the, like the early nineties, so we're moving movies. forward in the Human Project. I love yes. it. Yeah, that's good. That, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Cool Running is a great movie. Though. It oh for it's sure a great yeah. Movie. If you you know I don't care where you stand on on those issues but you should definitely watch it cool cool runnings i may be way off base here that's a true story isn't it it is a true story okay i did not know that i mean at what point is it true but 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 to the but to the point is the average person but in yes. jamaica is not but i'm does not have access to to ice yeah to, to right to right. training that training type that type of training nor does do they as collectively as a as a nation as a culture that's not like what they tend to um that's not where they gravitate towards right Right. when it comes to sports the same way as you have all sorts of discussion about um certain sports are very expensive Mm -hmm. so hockey is an extremely expensive sport so kids and, and families who come from a lower socioeconomic background they're not going, you know what I think you should play, son? Hockey. They're just going, no, what's the cheapest sport I can sign up for? Mm-hmm. Because I want you to be in this. Like the most accessible. Cross country. Absolutely. And so you, if you think about it, if you want to kind of go there, but is if you look across America, who's playing lacrosse? Mm-hmm. Who's playing hockey? Rich white kids for the most part, right? It's true, and yeah. So, and, and so not to go down a rabbit trail, but... It, that, yeah, that, like, we are changing our Yeah, we are changing. But no, but so you go, oh, okay. So when it comes to the talent thing is, is it because these kids versus these kids, these different races are more talented than that? Like, no, not think- necessarily. Now, but here's what I would say is, is maybe there are certain people groups that are collectively better at other things. Mm-hmm. Do you think and I think that would be fine. Yeah. Do you think talent is cultivated then, like in that sense? Like it's you have the opportunity to play it, and so that's how you discover you're good at it. Whereas, Could be, yeah. 
Well, well of course, that's yeah, how you discover it. You try it. Yeah. You, yeah, you try yeah. it, but so, but what is it? What is a kid who the 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 um the country sport? Okay, so you go to Europe. Mm-hmm. What right. do they what do they care about? Soccer, soccer, and then maybe rugby, right? Mm-hmm. right. So so you and you look at like the team, like the All Blacks, and you look at the uh, a great majority of the stature of man. Who plays rugby? Yeah, that's New Zealand. They're not that's, me. That's <laughs> right. the New Zealand team, right? Yes, yeah. and, and so, but then, <clears throat> um, even around here in the Long Beach area, you have um, there's there's a rugby team. There's you have these Long Beach kind of club, and then mm-hmm. you have the South Bay Club. Well, man, I've seen some of those matches, and man, the uh, the South Bay team. I think um, there's a lot of uh, the Samoan community, and those guys are just str- the strength. Yeah, no one's confused that they have strength, raw strength, mm-hmm. and all of a sudden, that's not a that's a that's great. Why? Yeah. That's a great thing. Yeah, right. um, that there that people that group of people they naturally ha- are just they have a raw strength. Mm-hmm. So so then the guys say some of and Long Beach has a lot of Samoan guys too, but you have like a lot of these white kids. Well, these white kids are like that are playing or from other races, black, Mexican, whatever is. Um, you gotta be big to play that game, right? And even if you're not tall, man, you better have something on you, right? You better have yeah. something to contribute. Yeah. yeah. And so, so why is it that rugby isn't off? Like no one, no one has a rugby team at their high school, right? It's because it's because that's not right. That's not what we do here, right? That's not that's not our pastime, right? So yeah, that ends up cultivating and um, if you want to use that word, is what do I even think I have an option in? Mm-hmm. Therefore, I'm not even going to try that. To Keith's point, is how many how many people out of fear, even out of fear, are not um, are not doing something? So you go, man, the the most talented or whatever, or if you just want to say he's like not going to be the most successful, but the most talented is too afraid to try. Mm. Yeah, good point. Very good point. Right? Or to your point, is the greatest author to ever to ever uh, not write? <laughs> right? Is he's too afraid because, or maybe he he wrote everything and he'll no one will ever know. In fact, he burns it before he dies. Or he keeps it in a desk drawer. Yeah, yeah. That, that's crazy. Yeah. Because yeah. he's too afraid to to try and get it published because of rejection. Where you, where you have a Stallone who wrote Rocky and people were trying to get his script. Apparently, I think the story is, and he goes, "No, I'm going to eat ketchup and live in a van, and this is mine." And I believe in it. Mm-hmm. And yeah. then look at him now. <laughs> you know, that yeah. was Arnold Arnold Schwarzenegger had the same kind of thing though. Like he invested in real estate early on because he was like, you know, I don't want to take these B roll actors. I believe that I could be a huge action star. And he just held out until that role came along. And then boom, look at him. He's like, you know, Total Recall. And, yeah, uh, he Terminator has this incredible. Yeah, he had this incredible. And and actually, they have a, a recent documentary out, uh, Born Strong. And it's Arnold talking a lot, being interviewed a lot, and he talks about even his why, why he thought the way he thought, and how how he became who he became had a lot to do with his upbringing mm-hmm. and yeah. the time in which he was born, what was happening in their nation, what was happening in those times. I was like, dang, that's fascinating. All of that shaped a lot of his mindset. Yeah, right. Man, this is good. Yeah, are we are we wrapping it up? I mean, that's all I got. I think, yeah, I think it's. I think Keith's question is pretty simple. Yeah, possibly. Yeah, <laughs> possibly. Um, but really, the question is, is, and I think we kind of tapped into it, and I think maybe we can even explore this on a, on a maybe a deeper level. But is is 
what are the things and how does one um, get into the place that they're at or how do they become the most successful? Um, I don't know. I don't know. I think we can go a lot of different places with it. But at the end of the day, I think it's not just pure, oh, their athleticism. It comes, there's a lot of different variables. Opportunity is a huge one. Yeah. Yeah. Op- yeah. We tapped into opportunity late in the conversation, yeah. but it's your because of your opportunity. Yeah. Simply put, where you're born, all that good stuff. There's a, a girl from the Middle East, and like they have like t- maybe two or three hockey rinks were, you know, in that entire area. And she, um, just like she picked up a stick one day discovered she was good at hockey and like they brought her over to kind of skate around with the pros a little bit and she was like almost on par with a lot of these guys mm. so like it yeah it's true you, you never know like you you really don't yeah, yeah. crazy <coughs> all right all right guys well if you joined us on the live feed thank you so much this has been episode 17 of what about this <laughs> i'm sorry I was, I was editing something this morning and then i was thinking about the wrong podcast i was you know it's funny i was like i was like man are we like a subset under like something <laughs> else that i don't know about we are you can find us on itunes podbean podcast.com google play stitcher uh, follow us on social media at Twitter, and uh, I don't think we have an Instagram, Facebook. You're obviously watching us on Facebook right now. Um, you know, if you have some, next time we do a live stream, if you want to send some questions our way, we'd be happy to answer them. Sure. Um, Keith won't take his shirt off. We tried. Um, it's not gonna happen. Yeah, sorry guys, but thank you for tuning in. We'll see you guys later. Brent here from Super BS. Talking about the things you know you love and the things you'd love to know. Join us weekly for a podcast about video games. Mostly. Ooh.